The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Transformers. Today, we have with us Jacqueline Osborne, Data Quality Control Executive at Bank of America, and in my opinion, a Chief Data Officer and Data Leader. Thank you, Jacqueline, for being with us today. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. This is definitely a topic I'm passionate about, and I've been watching and following you guys, so I'm actually honored to be here and really looking forward to the conversation today. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you. Jacqueline, let's start with one of the top questions I think all data practitioners are thinking about is what are the top three challenges or trends that you think that chief data officers should be thinking about or concerned about in today's age? What a great question. And the funny thing is I was as I think about this, it changes, right? What I would have answered even six months ago might be different to today, but let's let's go with what right here. I think the first thing is the expanding scope. When I started as a chief data officer, and I'm, I don't know if it's proud or sad to admit that I've been a chief data officer by title for quite some, for quite a while. In 2013 is when I officially became the chief data officer, and that was at HSBC. And at that time, things were so simple, or they felt so simple. It was about data management, data governance, and data quality. And it really wasn't anything else. Now, today, it has morphed into not only data analytics, but data privacy, data access. When we talk about democratization, there are so many other angles to it. So it's that expanding scope that I really think, not so necessarily much a challenge, but just something that we need to keep our eye on and that how do we balance between over committing and under delivering, but not having the full breadth and depth of our you know, expertise. Hmm. So um, actually, um, so looking at the chief data officer definition, the way you explained Jacqueline, um, it doesn't seem uni uh, it's universal, right? It's, it's just each organization has their own version of uh, chief data officer, right? I agree with you 100% that uh, the evolution of chief data officer that, that came uh, last 10 years or so, it's, it grew from a data management and data governance. Is the definition that you talked about chief data officers, is that what you're seeing across the board in other organizations as you're talking to other CDOs or is it uh, only in certain uh, mature organizations? No, I think, I think that's exactly right. I think that there is not only in terms of what a CDO is, but also where a CDO fits. Yeah. I think those are the two most debated, discussed, controversial topics on the planet. You know, whether it's, you know, within financial services, which is where my background is, or cross industry, I think you will find that question come up both inter-organization you know, as well as inter-organization. So I definitely think it's a hot topic. I have my personal preferences, but I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think that it's just what's best for your organization. Hmm. Okay. 
So, so Jacqueline, we've interviewed other chief data officers on this podcast, and I think it was Salima Rice who also said that the role of a chief data officer, as like you said, has grown in you know over the last ten years. Now it's analytics, it's AI, machine learning, data privacy, all these things that they just have to. Uh, the scope has certainly um, grown. Do you think there are certain qualities or um, intrinsic characteristics? that a data chief data officer needs to have now that then may not have needed back then in as you said in 2013 when it was a much simpler and more of a narrowly focused role I don't know if it's actually changed because I think a lot of the the skill sets and maybe I'll answer the question of what skill sets do I think are needed for a chief data officer because okay. I don't think they changed but I think that one of the skill sets which is the um, the ability to learn, the acquisitive nature of asking questions, I think that makes a good CDO. So that acquisitive nature makes them open to learn new things. Um, mm -hmm. I also think that ability to ask questions is critical for a CDO as well as problem solving because data is not black and white. Data is very gray and it's making connections and bringing information together and one of the analogies I use is data governance specifically. It's like finding the needle in a needle stack, not just a haystack, a needle stack, because everybody can gather metadata or technical metadata, right? You can harvest that from system to system, fields, tables, columns, et cetera. But really the art of it is in that being able to find the trees in that forest, being able to tell the story and make that metadata, turn that metadata into an enabler for data as an asset. And I think those skill sets of asking questions, learning, the inquisitive nature take you into that problem solving, which helps get to that point of seeing metadata outside of just a bit and a bite and a table, you know, the more technical view, but in that way to say, oh, wait a second, system A and B, you both have, you, you two have two different physical fields, but they're both legal name and maybe we should call them the same thing or at least refer to them the same way and that's an overly simplified example but hopefully that gives a sense of those skill sets I think are critical which again is that learning that inquisitive nature that ability to ask questions and really being able to dig into to the details so there is this um perception I don't know if it's true or not in the financial industry where you really grew up in um it's the data gets its value because lots of regulatory aspects are there, right? So you have to, you know, do the compliance and, and the regulation drives, uh, you know, organizations to look at governance, look at management and look at data quality, right? So uh, the question is this other aspect of data monetization, right? Other organizations, industries that, you know, really, can I value my data? Can I put some, uh, you know, put value to the data? And then can I monetize it, right? So, and then once you put that data monetization and some people like Doug Laney calls it infonomics, so then it gives a little bit more weight to the chief data officer role. So in the financial industry, what is, apart from the data management governance aspects that you talked about, is there a discussion about the monetization of value for data? Of course, the answer is yes, there's a discussion. And just like blockchain and you know, AI and machine learning and cloud, those data monetization is the next big word, right? It's the hype. But the thing I would say is while there's discussion, mm 
-hmm. I still think that that foundational data governance, data management, data quality we talked about earlier is the enabler. If we try to run before we walk, before we crawl, I'm afraid that that monetization and that, you know, advanced analytics and that insight won't, won't be effective. It, it will be just like the saying with statistics, garbage in, garbage out. And I really think it's less around having discussions, but mm -hmm. actually being able to wheel those discussions in and ensuring they're done in partnership with the data management, and the data quality, and not trying to go too fast or too soon. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so Jacqueline, a, a popular question we actually like to ask everybody is, where do you think a chief data officer fits in the organization? And we've heard different answers, but as you as a chief data officer, um, you probably sat in different um, parts of an organization. Where do you think it's most effective? And this is, this is a, a passionate question of mine. <laughs> and it's also slightly kind of controversial because I don't actually fit organizationally where I'm going to answer right now. But I do believe the answer is the chief data officer should sit closest to the business as possible. Um, because I do think that there, the technology side, while there is an enabler in that there are tools we need to adopt, data lineage tools, data quality monitoring tools, data governance tools, the true benefit to me of, data, of a CDO and data management is the business metadata. And technical metadata in absence of business metadata and the alignment to business process, how do I capture this data? How am I going to use this data? That's really where the true benefit comes. So organizationally, I'm an advocate that the CDO should be as close to the business. And that could be function. I, I do see the CFO, CROs having CDOs. I, I do see that, but as close to the business as possible is really my preference. So, but have you seen um, that come into action anywhere, right? Because I think many of the people that we talk to, that is what we want, given that data strategy should be driven by business strategy. And then, um, and especially to make these things work, you want the CDO to be in a business function or as close to the business function. In reality, have you seen any without naming any organizations, have you seen that happen? Yeah, so, and I can name it because I was there, but HSBC is, is set up that way. And I was a big part of the team who advocated for that. I see. So when I joined HSBC in 2013, I joined in technology. When I left HSBC in 2020, I was in the COO's organization. So I actually advocated for and ultimately was part of the shift to moving into the business. So I actually saw firsthand in the same organization working in both tech and business. So actually, I have a follow-up question on that one. So when that happened, right, the transition happened where you, the, uh, the role was established on the technology side, uh, if I understand correctly, then it uh, morphed into being in the business side. What changes have you seen because of the positional influence of the position itself? Great question. And I, I would sum it up into two. I think there's two big things. One became the accountability and the ownership. For a long time, when it was in IT, it often felt like the business felt we were doing things to them. There was no we were doing things with them or for them. 
But by shifting to the business, that accountability, the business now didn't no longer thought of as we were doing it to them. They felt as if we were doing it for them and with them. So that was a huge shift. And really that shift is that data is a business asset also came with that as well. So that ownership, that I own the data, data is not something that sits in tables and schemas and systems, but data is something that that not only is produced by operational processes, but that can be used and leveraged for strong decision-making and strong operational excellence. So I think it was those two things, and you really can see the shift in that, but again, that partnership, regardless of where it sits between business and tech, is going to be the key. So, so really making it, instead of a cost function, really making it a prof, profitable part of the organization by sitting in the business. Definitely. Or just viewed as an asset, right? Just as if you would your business process or your products and your services. Mm -hmm. If you look at data as that enabler and that asset, right? You know, there's a really great Dilbert cartoon, and I hate to bring up Dilbert because maybe it's cliche, but there's a really cute Dilbert cartoon I was actually referring to today, but an employee hands their boss a report and says, here's your report. And the boss says, is it right? And the employee says, you've never asked me that question before. And the boss says, okay, but is it right? And the employee goes, I don't know, and walks out the room. <laughs> and we, we could chuckle, but that's the reality, right? BCBS was the first regulation that really said you can no longer just do this thing, and that thing happened to be risk data aggregation, but you can no longer just do this thing. You actually have to do this thing and be right. right. You have to achieve these principles of effective risk data aggregation. And the industry was like, right? Like these big eyes open, like, but when you think about the Dilbert cartoon, is it really too much to assume that a business process owner or report owner understands that the data that they're producing and consuming and using is right? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very eye-opening. Um, so Jacqueline, you mentioned BCBS 239 and um, I think that sort of um, pushed away for many um, in financial services of more of a regulated and having a more formal data governance program. And I think uh, many people that look in, across industries, financial services is a little, is more mature than others. I think it's a, a fair fact statement. So, um, and I've been talking recently with a lot of healthcare and pharmaceutical companies, and they admit that, you know, they're probably a decade, if not more behind. Um, and there now there's a push on their end for, regulatory data sharing, openness in, in their data and interoperability, I think is, is a key word for them. So what advice would you give to maybe uh, someone who's leading a data organization in, a, in an industry that is behind financial services? What advice would you give them to be mindful of so that they don't replicate or learn best practices from an already established industry, such as financial services? The two things that are coming to my mind would be one, smart, start small. Don't chew, pick up more than you can chew. I think we have a tendency to overcommit and therefore under deliver or not deliver, and then therefore to, to not show the business benefit. 
So that would be one is start small. And then the second thing, which I, I've almost already said, but it is a second thing, would be to align to a use case. Don't, go, don't tackle data for the sake of data management. Okay. Data quality in isolation is not a thing. Data quality partnered with that process and that report and that business outcome that's where success is. So whether it's an existing change program or it's a known issue or it's a high priority regulatory report model or process, start there. Tie the data management to that bigger thing and make it that enabler. So actually a somewhat related question, Jacqueline, you as a chief data quality executive, right? Um, so data quality has lots of shades. Um, so how do you decide what is the right quality? Is it based on the use case or is it based on the metrics that you want to establish for the organization? This is where you want to be. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, because you, know, you could go to the nth degree in data quality and that's not optimal, uh, both from a, you know, the governance, from a cost and other, other, other aspects. So how do you deal with establishing metrics for data quality? This is such a timely question. I was actually talking to my boss about this exact thing this morning. And I think with AI and machine learning and predictive analytics and data profiling, right, we're starting to see as a selling point, more is more. We're starting to see as a selling point data quality, you know, that it's not data quality rules, mm. but but um, algorithm, algorithm, allowing the system to direct and dictate. And and therefore people are quoting, well, I've done 10,000 rules, I can do 12,000 rules. And to me, it's not a more is more. You can have millions of data quality rules running, but if they're not the right rules in the right spot, it doesn't matter. I would rather be less but better. And I think hopefully this answers your question because then it comes down to, well, how do you know what the right rules are? Correct. And for me, I kind of look at it as the data supply chain. So from production through to consumption, and it's really saying, what data do I need and why? And defining that requirement, looking, looking back. So from the bottom up, and then you establish a set of controls at production. I is the data that I produce by the person who produces it correct. That's the best spot to run an accuracy type of control. And then you would say, then you watch the supply chain and data is moved and you have data in motion controls and technology should run consistency checks and transformational checks and you know validity checks and timeliness checks. Then you get to the consumer and the consumer is the point to say, do I now have the right data? That's the point where you can say reasonableness, conformity. Does it conform to the regulation? Is the data as I expected? That combination of, of rules that are executed with in you know horizontal is how I would advise a data quality is breaking down the silos and looking at it for that specific intent. Hmm. So lots of stakeholders in each of, uh, if you take a customer uh, data as an example, uh, somebody, a mortgage length, uh, you know, lending side would like data to be at a certain quality and the investment banking side might be looking at uh, different sides. So, so what you're saying is, you know, look at the different stakeholders, but come to a common horizontal uh, understanding of what the data should be. Uh, what's the minimum required from each of the stakeholders and then start from there, if I understand correctly. 
Absolutely. And I'll give a really simple, and I'll try to summarize it just in the interest of time, but a really simple example. Um, my, I had heard a story about Best Buy, and it was a story about someone who was shopping Best Buy. And they got to the teller, and they checked out, and the clerk didn't ask any questions. And mm. the guy said, you didn't ask me my zip code. He's like, yeah, I just keyed it in. And he said, do you know why we capture zip code? Do you know why I, we ask you to capture zip code? And the guy said, no, I just, I want, you know, I want you in and out. I'm helping you. And the, the guy said, actually, we capture zip code for location strategy because we use that to determine how far people are traveling, who's traveling, and if we have pockets of people traveling for the same area. And we can then use that to build our location. The clerk's eyes lit up. And the moral of the story is that the people who produce the information need to understand why they're producing it. If you make them part of the equation, they'll take more pride and ownership. They will understand they will be part of the journey. And in that example, just by sharing, the quality went up by 50% overnight, not even adding a control, just simply educating that the point of capture is a critical element in the overall firm strategy. And that's a great example, um, Jacqueline, because even just sharing the strategy and the potential of what can be done, such as um, kept doing analytics on like how far customers would travel, I, I don't think a lot of that strategy is not always transparent. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do, do you see that? I mean, I, I've seen it, but I'm just curious what your... No, I, I don't see it. And, and that's, you know, as the data quality control executive. That's kind of how I explain my role. Actually, for a long time, my team's logo was the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and the reason is because I feel as if my role is to bridge the gap between the data we produce and the data we consume. And it's as simple as that, is that it's an enterprise asset. And if we break those silos down and we create those connections, I really genuinely believe we'll start to create that overall concept of quality and accuracy and engagement. So I thought actually you're, you're going to say that Golden Gate Bridge, because what I heard about that is that they keep painting that, you know, every day, because once you're done uh, painting the bridge, uh, again, you got to restart at the beginning. So as, as a result, so data quality is, is always going on. So you never sleep. So I was going in a different direction. So that's interesting. And now that makes me feel like I chose the right bridge. No, it was, <laughs> it was just, it could have been any bridge um, in, this ex in this example. It was just the point of that bridges are the water of connecting two points that, you know, could be two states, could be two countries. And creating that path to, to bring them together. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.